0: have tech.
1: <laughs> you can go slow
0: um
1: a kids co A, a kids, kids co. co this show was brought to you by a kids co
2: hi i'm jen and i'm head of books at a kids co we make books for all kinds of kids and families we have books about belonging and gratitude and shame Books about curiosity and justice and bravery. Books on topics that reflect your family, your community, and your experiences. We have books written by artists and teachers and coaches. Books by musicians and immigrants and kids. Books by people who know that sharing our stories can help us grow stronger and grow together. Check out these books and more by visiting akidsco.com. We have a special discount for podcast listeners. Use the code BETTERGROWNUPS at checkout to save 25% off your entire purchase. That's akidsco.com and use the code BETTERGROWNUPS. Thanks.
0: Hey, welcome to Better Grownups. Ups. I'm Jelani Memory, founder of A Kids Co, and this is a parenting podcast all about how to be a better grown-up. This week I'm chatting with Christy Pitts, general partner of Backstage Capital. She's an incredible VC, investing specifically in companies led by underrepresented founders. That's women, people of color, and LGBTQ folks. She's also a mother of two. And we get into the expectations of mothers who work. And that somehow they're not only supposed to, I don't know, manage the entire household, get the job done at work, and do it all perfectly. We talk about the fact that no matter how much mothers juggle, they can never quite hit that imaginary bar that society puts on them. Christy also helps me investigate my own shortcomings, managing my household with my wife, and some tips on how to begin dismantling sexism and patriarchy that we see around us every day. We also explore how she navigates such a male-dominated industry that is VC, and how she hopes her kids grow up to believe they can belong anywhere. Christy is actually an investor in the company that makes this podcast, A Kid's Go. So that kind of makes Christy my boss. Honestly, after this interview, I couldn't think of a better boss to have. All right, Christy Pitts, let's get into it. Christy Pitts, welcome to Better Grown-Ups.
3: Hi, thank you. I'm so excited to be here.
0: So you're a venture capitalist, you're a mom. Tell us your story.
3: Okay, so I am a venture capitalist. I'm an investor at a venture firm called Backstage Capital. We have invested in a kids' co. So yes, (laughs) thank you for letting us be part of your journey. And 199 other companies led by women, people of color, and LGBTQ founders. And really our position is that just because a founder is underestimated doesn't mean that that is, you know, a negative indication in any way, shape or form, but really it's an opportunity to generate incredible financial return. And so that's what we're doing. We're raising money, investing, raising capital and investing that capital into incredible founders like you.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. So we, before we started, I I just told you, like, I just want to like just dive right into like ripping apart the patriarchy and the imbalance of what's expected of men and women when they're parents in the workplace. And so I just kind of want to just get like right into it. You are in a heavily male-dominated field that is venture capital sort of classically the, right, the Patagonia-vested San Francisco-living Silicon Valley, like, VC, right, who just, like, drinks coffee all day and meets with founders and cuts, like, you know, the $300 million checks to other white male founders who went to Stanford. Like, it's just the tropes are, like, you know, well, one, the tropes are, are a lot true, but, you know, how are you navigating it? How did you get into it? What do people get wrong about VC? And and why, when we see these tropes, are are you not the face that we see when we think of VC?
3: Okay. So the last question, why am I not the face of VC? (laughs) Let's change that. But also like, mm, I should also say as a white woman, I shouldn't be the face of VC. So I think that The tropes exist for a reason, like you said. A majority of VCs went to two schools, Harvard and Stanford. 92%, it's either 91 or 92% of check writing partners at VC firms are men. And the majority of those are white men. And they invest in white men. So, you know, I got into VC through an untraditional path, which I think you have to do if you don't fit that archetype. I didn't go to Harvard or Stanford. In fact, I'm a proud graduate of the University of Phoenix and I think the only person in Venture Capital that went to University of Phoenix. So if there are any other Phoenix Rising like alum, (laughs) please let me know. But actually it's kind of a cool story. So I worked at Verizon for 13 years. I started as a um, part-time customer service rep in a store because I was at a state school doing my undergrad, I couldn't afford my cell phone bill and I needed a discount. And so I started there and I left through the Verizon Ventures team where we were deploying $100 million a year into companies that were strategic to Verizon's key interests. And I was so, my timing could not have been better. I was so lucky and I worked so hard while there. And I had, you know, I worked my way up into an executive position overseeing marketing and sales ops for a $4 billion P&L. And that's what led me into uh, making investments or being on the Verizon Ventures team. And then from Verizon, I came over and joined backstage, joined Arlen as her partner.
0: How have you found one, I think, navigating on the, the founder side of things? Like, is it refreshing when founders run into you and they go, oh, finally, like somebody who looks like me or understands me or isn't that same trope? Is it meaningful? Does it matter?
3: Yes, but I would say it's more infuriating for me, at least. It's It's fuel that keeps me going because... The founder journey is such a lonely one, but especially when you're fundraising, it's very lonely because it's just you usually. Even if you have a co-founder, you're still, the CEO is usually the one that's leading the fundraising efforts. And I think especially in venture, or at least I know venture, I'm in this industry, it's you and one other investor. And so you might hear over and over and over again, the same poor, dumb, questions and have to answer them over and over again. And the problem with that, the problem with systemic oppression really is what this is, is that it, the system makes you think the problem is with you, when the problem is really with the system. So as a founder, it feels like I'm the problem. I'm not doing it right. Something's wrong with my deck. I'm not ambitious enough. I'm too ambitious. You know, you get all this feedback. It's conflicting feedback. And so then I talk to the founder and the founder's like, wow, you get it. You get my business. And what's infuriating about that is that I shouldn't be the only one. It shouldn't be so hard to have that validating conversation, to get an investor on your side that believes in you and is willing to take a leap with you so that you can build.
0: So you're a star investor. And I think if you were on any other podcast, the question you could ask at this point is like, how do you do it as a mom? How do you balance it all? How do you, how do, you do the work-life balance? What I really want you to talk about is what are the roadblocks What are the presupposition, what are the biases that you run into, have run into, continue to run into as a mom who works?
3: Yeah, I think, so I'm in a very privileged position to be just, you know, for example, have a nanny, right? And so just having a nanny (laughs) first and foremost, it's expensive and a lot of people can't afford it or don't have access to do that, right? Right. So I just want to highlight that, but also say that I have really experienced a lot of what is the bleak nature of being a mom in the workforce in this country specifically, in that you are held to an impossible standard. Society, as moms, expects moms to be to sacrifice ourselves and to be selfless for our children. And as an extension of that, we're supposed to sacrifice ourselves and be selfless for our husbands in our homes or our partners in our homes. and. We are also supposed to be ambitious working people who are achieving in our careers. And there's so much just internal dialogue that is oppressive when it comes to this. It starts even before you get pregnant. Like when, before I had my son, I got asked on the regular whether or not I had kids and when I was having kids. And my husband was almost never asked that question. And then once you are pregnant, strangers make decisions for you without talking to you about it. Like, for example, the barista at the coffee shop serves you decaf coffee because they think that you're not supposed to be able to have caffeine. Your autonomy becomes limited as soon as it's clearly people understand that you're pregnant. And now in the U.S., it goes even beyond that. And it has gone beyond that, unfortunately, in that pregnant people are not allowed to exercise their autonomy over their body. That's been known, it's known now because of the Dobbs decision, but it's been the case for so many people who haven't had access to safe, safe abortion care and safe reproductive care. So it's a dumpster fire. <laughs>
1: <But> <laughs> hey, grownups, with over a hundred different titles in our a Kid's Book About series, it may be hard to figure out where to start. Allow me to make a suggestion. There is perhaps no greater feeling, nothing more life-giving or secure than to know you belong. No matter where you are, what you're experiencing, or who you're around, without that feeling of belonging, it's hard to concentrate on anything else. We can help our kids know what it feels like to belong and what it takes to help others feel like they belong around us. When you do belong, you it's very, very evident, right? Because... I like to say your heart smiles and your brain is tickled. That's Kevin Carroll, author of A Kid's Book About Belonging. Check out our Kevin Talks About Belonging episode of A Kid's Book About, the podcast. Listen together with the kiddos in your life. And when you're ready, visit akidsco.com for more great books and podcasts made to empower kids.
0: And we're back. You're listening to Better Grownups Ups and my conversation with Christy Pitts.
3: I have to say that if parenting and motherhood has taught me anything, it is that control is an illusion. And I learned that from a very physical place because with my pregnancies, I had a condition called hyperemesis gravidarum, which is essentially extreme morning sickness. And I, between the two kids, I've thrown up a total of 40 weeks. And it's like extreme and debilitating chronic terrible illness. So basically, I am really leaning into the fact that this is a roll of the dice. Like I'm gonna have these conversations with the kids. We're gonna do some things differently than we done with me when I was growing up and that I saw it done growing up and we'll see what happens, but they are their own people and hopefully, you know, hopefully they'll be people that I'm proud of and people that I'm proud to know when they're adults. And I'm laying that foundation now and we'll see what happens.
0: I mean, the work of a parent is so hard. And I think that's, that's why is this sort of idea of like, uh, you know, the illusion of the control is like, you're not in control of anything. You just are sort of there to try and help and nudge along. And there's I think there's a freedom in that to go. I don't actually get to decide who my kids become. They are their own people, but I get to help them become maybe what they can become. And I can also get the hell out of the way to make sure I don't hamper that development and that growth. And, you know, that's in contrast in some ways to what society will want to tell them to be, right? Or the way they should act or where they belong or where they don't belong. I'm, I'm curious, as you think about your kids getting older, because both your kids are pretty young, does that scare you a little bit to sort of try and help them carve out those spaces to make sure that they feel like they belong?
3: You know it does scare me a little bit but it also for me it feels that it's part of this kind of like stew of humanity and <laughs> that they are loved unconditionally at home they will always belong at home right and so they can lean like they can walk out into the world knowing that they have that love and support from me from their father, from the other family members that are in their lives. They will always belong here. I'm just going to be really transparent and real with, so my daughter is going to be a year in just a few weeks. And I've had postpartum depression since she was born. And part of that is just the logist, like the amount of work and logistics of maintaining a household while also trying to, to like maintain your sanity and your job is overwhelming. And I was overwhelmed this year And it was really not until my husband, my mom, and my partners at work, Arlen and Brittany, came to me. All of them came to me and said, like, we're seeing something with you. And I was in this dark place. And I was able to come out of that. I have health insurance. I was able to get treatment for it. But a big part of that has just been recognizing that I need help. I have to ask for help. And I have to allow space for things not... For me not to be in control, like this whole concept of control is an illusion, like with the kids. Also, like, I'm not controlling dinner tonight. (laughs) Like, I have to create that and accept that it's a fallacy. It's a lie that I should have ever put myself in that position in the first place. And to be successful at work or to be a good mom is not to do everything. Because it's impossible to do everything.
0: Well, I feel like what happens is, is it's not only you who has that belief about yourself, but everybody's colluding with you to sort of go, well, you got this, right? Like you can, you can have it all and you can balance it all. And, and, and surely like you should be able to juggle all these things because this, I don't know what the word is for it, but it, it almost seems baked into the system of how we think about parenthood is we just, we just view moms as default in that position and from what I hear you saying is that it's incredibly destructive to the life of the mom because it's an impossible bar to meet.
3: Mm-hmm. And then you're always failing.
0: You know, I, I find it actually in my in my everyday in my everyday life, I am consistently praised as a dad for having six kids, this amazing blended family, like people go oh my gosh, that's so incredible. They'll literally say, that's incredible, Jelani. How do you do it? That's, that's amazing. And they'll tell my wife, like, literally, like, what's wrong with you? Like, why would you do that? Why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> like, are, is there something so, wrong? So,
3: like, you get to enjoy it. And she is, like...
0: like I, I get praised, like, I am super dad. And f- it, it's, it's perceived as some, like, literal, like, something's wrong with my wife for having chosen that. Um, like, are we trying to build a compound of kids? And it's, it's the same people who offer that different perspective. And it's really about how that reflects back on me as a dad. And the fact that I just like, let that many kids be in my life and how it reflects on her of going like, well, there's no way you can manage all those kids because they're totally your responsibility. And the unfairness of that, the sort of maliciousness of that, I just like, I find myself often wanting to call it out because it's so imbalanced and it's so well-meaning and that even makes it, it just makes it come off even worse because it's such an unconscious perspective on what the role of my my job is as a father and what her role is as a mother.
3: Mm Mm-hmm, 100%. That's a great example. And I think like, um, even if you think there's, yeah, It's just so much has um, developed even in our society. So like I'm looking, you know, my cousin has kids and her kids are in elementary school and they do these crazy things like a hundred day celebration. What is that? (laughs) Like you go to school for a hundred days and now we have a party? Like, What is that? And why do the kids have to have a special outfit for it? And who bought that outfit? And who's tracking for the next week when it's like spirit week or whatever? Like... It's on the moms for the most part. And it's never, it's like this avalanche that's never ending. Like as an, and it's getting worse. That's what's really, really like in, I just saw this news last week that there's companies that are dropping their parental leave, their paid parental leave. They're reducing the number of weeks that they're providing. And there's now people in, in states like Texas and Oklahoma who cannot access abortion when they need it. And that, the thing about this is that When you focus, it's like when you focus, again, there's a parallel with what I do for work, right? Which is like when women and people of color can't access capital. Well, who are women married to? Men and other women. Who's having an abortion? 60% of the time, people who already have kids. And those children may be girls or boys. Like this affects all of us in society. I love that you recognize the different messages that you and your partner get about, Your blended family, because in a way you're benefiting because you're getting praised, but you are also being negatively impacted by the fact that that's your partner and she gets those negative messages, right?
0: Yeah. Well, let's like let's like keep it super real. Once upon a time, I had this belief because my wife is like, "You don't understand, Jelani. I have to like think about my work." And everything that's happening at home and all those things are sitting on my mind all the time. And I just thought, oh, well, that's just, that's just you. That's, that's, that's how you feel and think about it. I'm just compartmentalizing and I'm not, and I, it's not that I care less about those things. I just, I just like turn off that part of my brain. And then when I'm, I'm engaged back at home, I'm like, oh, I'm, oh, here's the things that need to get done. And, and what I, what I actually really realized through enough sort of like, you know, a pressure campaign for my wife to go like, you should really investigate that thought. Is that it's just that gender bias of what's expected of who. And for me, it was like, oh, well, I don't really have to think about it. Like what's happening for dinner? I don't know. We'll just figure it out. And it's like my wife knows, well, yeah, I bought food a week ago so that you can just figure it out. Yes. <laughs> you know I mean? Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. Exactly. And 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 I think it was it's like going like, oh, like. I've gotten in this groove. And then you start telling yourself all sorts of things like, oh, well, I'm, I'm the breadwinner. And so it's really like we couldn't afford this lifestyle unless I, and you start building up these justifications. And then ultimately it just comes back to going like, either we're going to share an equal load, mm-hmm. genuinely mental, physical, emotional load when it comes to this household and this family, or I'm going to be that jerk dude that just goes, like, that's your job. You know, like, let me, let me do the thing that I'm supposed to do as a dad, like, you know, get off my back. And even still, I think that those defaults, they're challenging not to fall back into because of society, because of those unconscious bias, because of the gender imbalance, because of what's expected of the different roles within a household.
3: Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, you're 100% right. And I think the thing is that it's dynamic. So having, at least having the conversation puts you a, a far in the upper echelon because you're recognizing that, this, that there's this imbalance, but then the mental load shifts. So like right now, my kids don't go to school. We have a nanny. My kids are really little, but they're going to go to school. And when they go, I heard a rumor that they're going to have to eat lunch. So, so like, mm. <laughs> allegedly, <laughs> they're going to want to get fed every day. Somebody told me that. So um, (laughs) who's going to pack it? Who's going to pack lunch? Who's going to make sure that it's a clean, like they're taking lunch in a clean thing, like a lunchbox. Who's going to source those, that thing? What about if other kids in their class have allergies? Who's going to do all of that thought? And it's a daily thing, right? And then like, you know, Maybe one of them will do an extracurricular, and then that comes with its own gear, and so the kid has to get there, and then they have to get picked up, and all of the things. And orchestrating it is is work. And you can choose to be blind to that, but then you're choosing to be blind to what your partner is, the reality your partner lives. And I think that that is destructive to the relationship in the long term. Have you ever heard someone say or do something racist and you want to say or do something in return but what do you say and how do you say it do you even know enough to say anything at all if this sounds like you then keep listening hi i'm misasha a lawyer
4: and i'm sarah a life coach and we are two biracial best friends who started dear white women an award-winning weekly podcast which aims to help white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism without centering themselves in the process. We started it back in April of 2019, and together we use conversations both with ourselves and with others to explore our three pillars of anti-racism. Listen, learn, and act. We'd love for you to join us in our journey, because this is one. And spoiler alert, it's not just for white women. Listen for new episodes every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more, find us at dearwhitewomen.com.
0: A kid's book about war. A little book about justice. A kid's class about mental health. A kid's mindful moment. A kid's podcast about emotions. There is so much to explore at akidsco.com. Check it out! Visit
2: akidsco.com.
0: It's Better Grown Ups, a parenting podcast all about how to be a better grown up. And you're listening to my conversation with Christy Pitts. And you're using the operative word partner who lets their partner just like do all the work and then takes credit for it. Like that's that's just fundamentally wrong. And what I've learned on my journey of not just being a husband but a father is like learning how to do better, be better, right? This is like the title of the podcast, Better Grown Ups. is like... I actually need to be getting better at this because I can't just default, just assume like I'm good at this and I'm just like crushing it. Especially when the people around me are going, you're not crushing it. Actually, Jelani, like you, you could be doing a better job. Right. And, and especially like, you know, like my wife never wants to take out the trash and like, I'm totally cool to do that. She also never wants to do the dishes and it took me a while to just go like, Oh, I should just do the dishes. Like, I should just, I should just own that part of it. Cause I have no problem with doing the dishes, but I also need to understand like when she wants the dishes done and needs them done is different than when my brain does. Cause she's also thinking in advance of all these, like, so just owning that, that, that mental load a little bit look like she still shoulders so much of it, but. Trying to embrace that so that when our kids need to get somewhere, they got to go do a school thing. They got soccer practice, get cleats, like that sort of stuff, which we literally have to do today is to be like, oh, I got that. Like, I got that thing. You don't have to worry about that. I can I can think through all the steps required for that. And then what I find more often than not, especially in our household, is like is making sure that my wife knows that I'm thinking enough in advance that I got something So that she doesn't have to worry about it. Otherwise she'll worry about it. And she'll go ahead. Did that thing get done? And I was like, oh yeah, I I forgot about that. (laughs) And it's like, so she's, she's like getting signaled. Like I must still think about this. Otherwise my other husband will drop the ball on it. Right.
3: And like, that's so hard because like the thing is like, if she reminded you, right. And so then you did it. And then, so it's like this like feedback loop of like, oh, I had to remind him. And so, but then when I reminded him, he did it. And the problem is like, at least it's just speaking for myself. I also make mistakes. I might have forgotten too. But it's easier—is it easier for, for me to forgive myself for a mistake than it is to blame my partner? You know, like this is where it really gets deep because it's like at the end of it, when your kids are grown and out of the house, like do you want do you want your partner to still like you? And if so, if you're allowing them to shoulder this load and you're refusing to see what they're doing and. That's the root cause, but there's going to be symptoms that are popping up in your relationship of their overwhelm and their, and the the challenges that they're having. But if you're allowing yourself to remain blind to it, then you have to accept the ramifications of that in the future. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I just, I just want to like put, put like a a pin in like why this happens these gender imbalances, like, has everything to do with patriarchy, has everything to do with misogyny, has everything to do with the oppression of women's thoughts, feelings, ideas. Like, it's not, this isn't quaint or cute or like, oh, isn't it funny that, you know, like, these things are, they're actually really fundamentally serious and the impacts, they ripple out in really dramatic ways. And And I think one of the reasons why... I care so deeply about investigating and navigating and doing better in these things. It's like, my kids are watching. They're watching all this stuff. And they're deciding their place in the world and where they belong based on how my wife and I do life and what we permit the other to do or do not permit based on what our preconceived sort of gender notions are of what should happen in a household or a relationship and, and quite frankly, that, that scares me to death. Right. Um, like I, I hope my kids grow up into fully formed adults and go, Hey, that was messed up. And I go like, Oh yeah, that was messed up. Like I want them to recognize that as opposed to adopting it and then sort of re-traumatizing for the next generation and the next generation.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think at some point it's like the straw that broke the camel's back and that's where women are right now in this country. And I think that Something that I'm just learning about, but I'm not, I haven't learned a lot about yet is it's happening, this like catalytic thing that's happening with moms and with women is happening on both sides of the aisle. You know, I think we're really in another movement. It's early days in another movement for women's liberation. There's going to be change, but I like just... It's just like I can't even summarize my position on this because I'm still it's so, still so nascent for me. But I just feel like there's there's clearly change. There's so many of us that are fed up and we're not going to take it, but we're also exhausted by the patriarchy. We don't have time. We're staying up all night with our kids and then we're working all day at our jobs and then we're trying to like get it done and then it's bedtime and then we're exhausted. We fall into bed. And so I, sometimes I feel like I felt like patriarchy exists because of the physical demands of pregnancy. That was my, that was my initial theory. When I went through hyperemesis, I was like, oh, this is why we live in a patriarchal society because if half of the population is pregnant for like 15 years at a time, then of course they're going to be taken out of the decision-making because they they can't physically participate because they're like physically held back. Right. And now I think in part, um, these systems, the, the pressure and expectations on moms um, contribute because moms are too exhausted to stand up and say no and change. And, but now I think we have to, and there's a growing coalition of us that are, and it's happening on both sides. So we'll see what comes next because um, there are a lot of parallels with other political systems in our country that like moms represent that too.
0: Well, I, I hope you're right. And, and look, it'll be rad when that change comes and I'll um, throw my hand up in the air and go, I, I'm just as complicit as anybody and upholding those systems and, you know, growing up with a single mom I hope those systems change um, because um, because we all need them and especially moms do um, Christy, I could talk to you for forever about this this is so good I like we just keep diving into it thank you so much for, for being on the show
3: yeah, thank you for having me I love it
0: awesome Thanks again to Christy and to you for listening. You can check out Christy's interview series, Moms at Work, on LinkedIn. Take a look at the show notes for a link. And you can find Backstage Capital and the amazing companies Christy invests in at backstagecapital.com. And you can find Christy at I'm Christy Pitts on Twitter. Keep up with me at Jelani Memory on Twitter. I really would love to hear what you think of the show, questions you want answered, and guests you'd love to hear from. Just emails at listen at a kidsco.com. Better Grown Ups is hosted by me, Jelani Memory. Matthew Wenner, the one and only, is the producer on this episode, with additional production support from Chad Michael Snapely and the team at Sound On Studios. Explore our collection of over 80 plus books made to empower by visiting Akidsco.com. There you'll also find our growing network of original podcasts for kids. No matter who they are, what their interests are what big questions they're asking, we are making shows just for them. Find our shows on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are found.
1: Friend of the show, Lindsay Amer, is back with a new season of Rainbow Parenting. If you enjoyed Linz's interview on Better Grownups, Ups, or if you're looking for an engaging podcast all about queer and gender affirming parenting, we highly recommend you check it out.
4: Hi friends! Welcome to Rainbow Parenting, a brand new queer and gender-affirming parenting podcast. But this show isn't just for parents. It's also for educators, caregivers, librarians, really anyone who knows, loves, and works with kids. I'm your host, Lynns Amer. I'm the creator of Queer Kids Stuff, and I make queer and trans media for kids and families all over the internet. Most of the stuff I make is for kids, but this time I'm talking to you, the grown-ups. Queer Kid Stuff is the kind of show I wish I had when I was a confused little queer and trans kid who didn't have the language to express who I am. But this show is all about what I wish my parents and teachers and caregivers knew when they were raising me so they could have helped me along the way. Rainbow Parenting gives you the tools and strategies and know-how you need to raise kids in a queer and gender-affirming way, even if you don't know how. Me and a whole bunch of my friends and experts in the field are going to help you navigate LGBTQ plus and social justice topics with the kids in your lives. We're on a mission to spread queer joy and raise a new generation of supported and affirmed queer, trans, and non-binary kids and their allies. Our first episode drops on May 30th and we'll upload new episodes every Monday through early August. That's all we've got for now. Talk soon.